Welcome to Forging Plowshares, a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom of God. We hope this part of our ongoing conversation stimulates your mind and challenges your heart about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And so here is a child called Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Beginning with the person of Christ as the ultimate reality, the center of understanding of ourselves, the world, and God. And this means that this particular person in whom reside both the divine and human is our logic, a peculiar logic unto itself. It's our point of departure. He's our point of departure. So we do not begin with a book, a theory, a doctrine, a proposition, but a person. And here alone do we know and encounter God. He is the wonderful counselor. I think that's what that means. Understanding begins here. Though we might infinitely multiply the alternatives or seeming alternatives to Christ, I would suggest these alternatives boil down to one thing. We might call it the symbolic order. The world as we have it. Natural law or simply law. Rationalism. Human nature or perhaps just nature. What we've called foundationalism. Karma. Being. I think that they consist of the same impersonal, flat, closed system. There is God and there is not God. Principles and theories replace the person. That's the danger. Or in philosophical terms that we've talked about, the unmoved mover replaces God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so what is left out of these systems, or the system, is the God-man, personhood, absolute hospitality, unconditional forgiveness, unconditional love, or simply the primacy of relationship. So Christ is not a first principle, a law, a doctrine, but a person. He is the Son, the Divine Son. And we do not know this person primarily through propositions, doctrines, or theories, but in relationship. He is relational by definition, part of a human family, but part of the Divine Family with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. These three persons are one, and who they are they are in relationship. The person Christ is not a type of person. He's not a genus of persons. 
a species reducible to an already existing form, but person is the shape and form of reality that we all partake of. He is the person, as Colossians puts it, in whom all things hold together. He is before all things and in him all things, as the King James puts it, all things consist in him. All things hold together both in heaven and on earth. Meaning that the incarnate Christ precedes creation. He is divine in the very definition of creator and creation. And so we begin with the incarnation. And if we do not begin there, that is with God made human, the danger is that we lose both God and humanity. As John 1 puts it, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. So beginning with being or something else, beginning with creation, beginning with nature, it subjects God to what is. John, I think, is calling this darkness. He says, the darkness has been penetrated by the light. The light shines in the darkness. To begin with the pre-incarnate Christ, that is not with the incarnate Christ, the Logos is made a cipher. And this is what has happened historically. People beginning with John have presumed, oh, we're talking about not the incarnate Christ, but the pre-incarnate Christ. And this has been filled in by philosophy, human speculation. But God, as an abstraction, is inevitably bound up with conceptions of being. For example, in the history of theology, there is the positing of two kinds of God, or two notions of the Trinity. The economic Trinity, oh, that's just how God appears to us, and the imminent Trinity, that's how God appears to himself. As if these are distinct, and the distinction between God in God's self and God for us through abstraction and intellectual speculation, it has effectively meant the loss of God. What we come to know in the child born in Bethlehem is that the imminent trinity, that is who God is for himself, is the economic trinity. There is no division. The abstraction and speculation must be displaced by the incarnation. This is our starting point. Who God is for himself, he is for us. He is the image of the invisible God, Colossians says. The firstborn of all creation. He is the very image of the invisible God. And so where the image of the incarnate Christ is set aside, the human image or the human mind is made its own mirror. Rather than the historical other of Christ, interior reflexivity is presumed, maybe explicitly, maybe implicitly, to contain and capture the divine. 
It is presumed this image presents a ready coherence or access to God by virtue of human self-consciousness. Rather than God made accessible through the person of Christ, God is equated with the structures and functions of the human mind. And so we have the Platonic forms. We have the Cartesian cogito, the Anselmian word, the self-positing I, the inner dialectic, or human self-awareness are divinized. And so even Augustine's psychological analogy of the Trinity, maybe he just meant it as an illustration, but it begins the process of abstract speculation about God grounded in the human mind. And the result is that mind, or noose, is equated with the being of God. Human nature becomes the interpretive means of grasping God displacing the divine nature. There is no fully human one apart from being joined to God in Christ. This is what humanity was made for. Humanity is made for deity and this is the order established in Christ. This is what the angels explained to Joseph quoting the prophet, Behold the virgin shall be with child, shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. As Titus puts it, the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men, the blessed hope and the appearing, listen to these words, the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Here is the one who is human and divine. The Council of Chalcedon formulates this. They say one and the same person, Christ, the only begotten Son, acknowledged in two natures, divine and human, without mingling, without change, indivisibly, undividedly, the distinction of the natures nowhere removed on account of the union but rather the peculiarity of each nature being kept and uniting in one person and substance, not divided or separated into two persons, but one and the same Son, only begotten God, Word, Lord Jesus Christ. The bringing together of two natures, the human and the divine, in one person is the very essence and end of human personhood. Human nature, in this understanding, is not a given which Christ assumed, rather he is the exemplary human one. He is God with us, Emmanuel, God for us. Certainly human nature has certain parameters, certain necessities, but in Christ we recognize this finitude of human nature, this delimitation, is not definitive of what it means to be a person. Personhood, in its fullness, is in and through his personhood. Participation in the divine, certainly it's not innate to human nature, but it is that for which human nature was made. 
as realized in Christ. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. The first Adam made of earth came from the earth. The second Adam came from heaven. Those who belong to the earth are like the one who was made of earth. Those who are of heaven are like those who came from heaven. We were all made for heaven. Christ as the new Adam does not simply restore the nature of the first Adam but recreates or brings human nature to its proper end. What we're saying is Christ is the completion of creation in redemption. We have participation in Trinitarian relationship which is what creation was for. And so we can plot, we can define nature, but this Christic notion of personhood, it is beyond nature. It is indefinable. It is eternal in its depths. That's the picture in Romans chapter 8, which describes those who take on Christ as taking on a divine consciousness. As in the Son, we're put in the place of the Son, by the Spirit, we cry out to God, Abba, which is the Hebrew word, something on the order of Dad, Papa. That is, here is a personal relationship with the Father. The relation with the world, with human nature, law, the symbolic order, they are not definitive, or they're no longer definitive. So God consciousness, knowing Christ, is distinct, and maybe very different from knowing the unmoved mover. But unfortunately, if we do not understand personalism in the way I'm describing it, I'm afraid we reduce God to an unmoved mover. This understanding is holistic, including all of reality. It is subjective. It includes our interior self. It's personal, and it's a relational knowing. This is what Paul prays in Ephesians 3, 14 to 19, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up with the fullness of God. And so we are filled up with God. I use the word knowing, but it may be the wrong word as this is a trusting, believing, you know, having faith. We, we speak of knowing a person, but there's a sense in which this is an endless process. We can know some things, facts, but knowing persons is no longer an objective, it's a relational order. And so the depths of this experience, they're more like trusting, relating, loving, believing. And certainly it's inclusive of knowing, of propositions, of natural truth. But this relational process, it passes beyond full comprehension. I believe this is inclusive of a lifetime. And so this personal constitution of reality, it brings a depth to everything that suddenly 
nature itself, human nature, all things around us, we understand, oh, here is the fingerprint of the living personal God. And this is inclusive of human nature, such that psychology or physiology, they only begin to touch on this mystery. We're all more than our constituent parts. This form of reality is only apprehended relationally rather than rationally, psychologically, or propositionally. Thus, belief, devotion, meditation, community, communion, and prayer are the proper modes for entering fully into this relationship. And this it tells us in a continual openness to an ever unfolding reality in which final apprehension is an impossibility. This is an eternity, Paul says, from glory to glory. There is no end to knowing persons and a reality that is personal has eternal depths for ever renewed understanding. There's not a final knowledge, a definitive set of propositions. And if nature were the final given of reality, yes, we might expect a kind of closed, rationalistic, foundationalism. But nature fused with divinity. That's the Christmas story. That's what's happening in Bethlehem on Christmas night. In the second person of the Trinity, God becomes man, Emmanuel, God with us. And this opens up a new order of reality and of understanding. We now recognize that the one born in the stable is greater than all things outside of the stable. Reality has no limit, no bottom, as it is an ever unfolding personal mystery to be explored, approached in a relational personal rather than a foundational understanding. This is the meaning of Christmas. Forging Plowshares is a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom by providing in-depth, transformative biblical and theological education and discipleship. If you have found this podcast valuable, please remember to share on social media. If you have questions about what you've heard, or if you'd like to learn more about how you can get involved with Forging Plowshares or even support this ministry financially, please visit our website, forgingplowshares.org.